Yeah. And so it's like this um, paradigm that the government's like gaslighting us through something like this. Right? Wait, like, the government's gaslighting us? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Couples Synergy. And please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Zach Martin. He is the director of the nonprofit Kids Deserve Dads. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today, Zach. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, your uh, your organization is really amazing and, and uh, you know, doing some amazing things. And we definitely want to get into that and, and talk about, you know, um, where people can get an understanding of the organization and get connected. And, but before we do that, we want to understand your journey, like how you got there. So first let's, let's, let's tell the audience here is all audio. How old are you? Uh, I'm 42 years old, 42 years old. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the start of this whole journey and, and kind of where it came from. Yeah, um, it started in, uh, the, the organization started in November of 2017, um, but it was born out of um, having a son. Uh, my son, Elijah, was born um, in January of 2017, and his mother and I split up uh, in June, July-ish time period, and um, uh, and not being able to see my son for a long time, and then having opportunities to connect with a lot of my friends and people I knew who had been through similar experiences, how prevalent that was, I, I thought it was wrong. And I wanted to help support kids having dads. And, and I knew how important it was for me to have a dad. And I wanted to be there for my son and uh, a system that was really designed to make it extremely difficult, if not um, impossible to be in the role as I imagined and was designing my life to be. Were you married to your son's mom? I was not, no. Um, and he was an accident, a beautiful <laughs> accident. And um, uh, maybe there are no accidents, right? So, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, we were not married, no. Were <laughs> you on the birth certificate? Yes, I was there the day he was born. Um, we had split up uh, and after we, sp we split up for the final time, Next to final time, uh, and four days later, she told me she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, I went back and uh, continued a relationship with her uh, to, be, to be there with my son and was committed to making it work. Um, and it takes two committed people to make a relationship work. And um, But I was there uh, through his birth, and um, it was a, an amazing day. And, and, then, and then I was there every day with him for the first, like, five or so months of his life. So, so did you go through any legal stuff in trying to figure out, you know, visitations and things like that? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> a two and a half year legal, two wow. year, two and a quarter year legal um, experience, um, which really it was longer than you guys were together, right? Uh, slightly less, uh, <laughs> uh, it was a long, a long, um, slow process to get through the court system, to even get into the court system. Um, and just a bunch of 
legal loopholes to jump through, which take a bunch of time um, uh, intentionally and um, made it be, I mean, a long, just a long fight to just be, to be actively involved in my son's life. And then we didn't find out the judge's decision for another six months after that. So it was like, it was three years after we split that we actually finally had some sort of um, legal framework around visitation and an order of what it would look like. So, you know, when you're talking about the system, you know, designed in a way that really prevented you from being able to spend time with your son, be with your son. Can you describe the system, you know, for those out there that aren't familiar with, you know, how it's structured? Yeah. I mean, so the family court system is designed to give one person control over kids and their lives and another person to be a payer for kids. Um, and they work on um, separating parents and divorces. Um, and there are many different players in this system, the vast majority of which are lawyers, um, usually um, uh, uh, the petitioner's lawyer, the respondent's lawyer, and then um, a guardian ad litem in a lot of cases um, and a judge. And that those uh, people are there to, to help to split up the, the, the parties involved um, in an equi- equitable fashion um, to, to divide the family. Mm-hmm. Um, Did and, it er, end up being equitable? Well, <clears throat> equitable is really a, a tough term to describe. I would say it was definitely not equal, uh, but the state's incentivized through the Social Security Act of 1975 uh, in Title 4D to um, have one person being a payer for kids while the other person collects money. And the collection of the money by the child support services business actually gets the state money from the federal government. And so there's a huge financial incentive for the states to divide families and not have equal parenting time for kids, but to um, give one parent control and cash and prizes and the other parent to be the payer who supports the system that maintains this. Wow. So, I, did, I was not aware of that. Um, and, it, you know, this this uh, <laughs> event <laughs> that you went through, <laughs> this was in the state of Wyoming. Wyoming. Okay. And are you aware of uh, whether other states do things differently? So there have been some changes in the last few years. Um, 2018, uh, Kentucky is the first state to pass a equal shared parenting law. And so in Kentucky, as long as there's not a, uh, a history of domestic violence within the last year, and not just uh, accusation, but actual like documentation of domestic violence within the last year, uh, it's presumed that both parents are fit and worthy of being parents to their kids. Um, and since then, um, Arkansas and West Virginia have followed suit and gotten, gotten past shared parenting bills. Um, and so there are three currently who have shared parenting as a standard. The rest um, are not. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think that you know, more of the, the states with more progressive cities would you know, be leading in that, in that area. Yeah, um, I, a lot of those, so totally off of like the parenting side stuff, but anyways, um, <laughs> the, those states are, are ran a lot by like um, big government type programs and um, government programs are, are financially supported by the money that's brought in through Title IV-D money. Mm-hmm. It's brought into most states in through the general fund. And so the money comes in and the state gets to choose how they spend it off of that. So there's no requirement that it goes any certain ways. Wow. So there's definitely an incentive not to change. And so, yeah, the state's incentive is not to change. And mm-hmm. legislators know that. And uh, there is a, every state has a Title IV-D administrator who works for the Child Support Services Office. And that person is the, the person that the legislators go to to ask if it's in the state's interest to do a shared parenting bill. And they're the ones directly getting paid and benefiting from it. So. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like this um, paradigm that the government's like gaslighting us through something like this. 
you know, like uh, best interest of the child, right? Wait, the government's gaslighting us? Eh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it seems to happen way more often than it. Like, it seems like they wouldn't do that and they totally do. So yeah, and like the idea of the uh, best interest of the child, right? That sounds so wonderful. And that is like, yes, that is what we all want. And then they use that to then have a parent who is totally fit and willing separated for money. Wow. And so you learn all of this by going through your own situation. Yeah. Yes. Um, How long were you kept away from your son? Uh, it was just under two months. And, um, and then when I got to have him, uh, it was, I, I, she worked in my office. She worked for me. So like, I got to see him like come into the office. I just didn't get to like be with him. Um, uh, like she'd go and lock her office door and not let me see, see him and stuff. Um, and bring him in there knowing that I was there and things along those lines. Um, uh, and then when I got to see him, it was two hours twice a week, um, for about six more months. So I went from Is there a reason they ruled it was that a ruling that happened? No ruling. No, it was designed, decided on by my lawyer who I fired and her lawyer um, without my consent or even asking my opinion. Because that seems pretty short. I mean, it, that makes sense if there's, you know, a, a problem that's founded and someone needs, you know, to be supervised or something with their kids. But so nothing happened. Nope. And you petitioned to have some time with your kid mm -hmm. and they gave you two hours. Yep. Wow. Yep. Twice a week. So, um, and then what happened? And, and then, uh, we got a guardian ad litem, um, in place and, you know, they came in and interviewed me and went to my house and, um, interviewed my, my family and friends. He made a ruling to change the parenting plan to give me, uh, eight days, uh, a month straight. Um, so I got to go from, I got to go to eight days a month, which is actually in most people's cases, a really great parenting plan. Um, mm -hmm. It's higher than average um, in a long shot. And um, uh, at the same time, uh, it was right around his first birthday when that was done. And I found out that came out like about a week before uh, his birthday. And we were going to do a joint birthday. And she told me like two days before his birthday that we had to do separate birthdays and that my time would come after that. And then, uh, and then the day before his birthday, she told me she was moving to South Dakota and that's why I wouldn't get to see him for, and I wouldn't get to see him for his birthday. Uh, and that's why we didn't do a joint birthday. Wow. Oh man, that and bait and switch. Yeah, but she said she was already got approval by the guardian ad litem, which was not communicated with me. Nobody talked to me about it. I had no, no idea this was even discussed or decided upon and it was all done without even me knowing um, or even like, without even knowing, let alone. Uh, so the guardian ad litem is able to make decisions like that? Because mm -hmm. not in Illinois, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're in Wyoming, they're allowed to make those decisions because they hadn't gone to the judge yet. Um, and once the judge got, we had been a few times in front of the judge, but no final parenting plan had been made until we got to the final one, two and a half years. So this was six months later after we, we split, maybe seven months after we split. Do you think it would have gone differently if you guys had been married and then divorced? I do not. No. No. Um, there is no rules in Wyoming about parents moving out of state. It's the, the parent, it's the custodial parents prerogative to move. Um, and they get to move for uh, any number of reasons that they choose and that um, their, their ability to move is not to be, and it's kind of written in the law, but that they don't, there's no, you don't have as a non-custodial parent any right to prevent them from doing what they feel is in their best interests. Even crossing state lines. Yep. Yeah. So they let her move six hours away. Um, and um, I had no no power or ability to make any, any, I, they already, she already had moved before I even knew about it and there was nothing to petition. So. Wow.
So what did you do from there? Um, at that point in time, you know, I was, I was really out. I, I was working on um, some bills. So I had worked on some bills. I actually had my son like the next week. So we did our um, University of Wyoming basketball game. He was uh, in the baby crawl and uh, did really well and uh, had a great time. And then um, <clears throat> uh, he was there when I got a, a bill passed with one of my legislator friends on um, making it so if both parents don't agree to shared parenting, a judge can rule for shared parenting, um, which was not the rule before, um, but didn't mean that they had to. And um, so I had my son for that and got some bills passed. And um, I started really focusing on how I could help parents and kids build relationships. You know, these Nagasoa parents are just, I was emotionally like destroyed. Like, I just want to be my dad's, my son's dad and get to like experience his growth. And there was a period of time in that first year that I hadn't seen him in 36 days. And so when which when he sees you, he's going to think you're a stranger by that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that was, it just, and, and, and I'm a stranger. I mean, I am, I mean, I feel like a stranger, like what is my son doing in 36 days when you're nine months old is a huge amount of growth. Like yeah. who is this kid? What is he into? You know? And there, there was no communication about like, Oh, he's doing this and doing that. You know, it's like the only thing it was, 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 um, uh, uh, attacking and, and, um, and thing on those lines, you know, um, trying to be involved, trying to get time and then basically using that to, to punish, um, for whatever perceived crimes I was committing to his son's mom. Um, and so, um, it was tough. And so I, I made these events and stuff for dads and kids. So I started doing, uh, I made a fishing event and I set up a fishing day at, the state park and a camping day and had like 40 people show up parents and kids and wow. had this event. and I was like well this is going really well you know and um and so I uh I got the idea to have a banquet to raise some money to do more events and so we had a I organized a big banquet to raise some money to change some more laws and get a shared parenting law passed in Wyoming and had a banquet with 300 people from the community of Cheyenne coming out to support and raised just under $40,000 to help bring about this change and support um, the events that I was having. And so a lot of things we really were focused on at that point in time was just relationship building activities. So going to UW basketball games, going to UW football games, which University of Wyoming mm -hmm. is UW. People from Wisconsin or Washington might say something different, but <laughs> so, uh, and uh and so going to the University of Wyoming games and stuff and organizing trips um, where a lot of families, uh, Nagasoa parents can't afford to take their kids to do those things. So it might cost 200 bucks for a, a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And so I had groups of, you know, 30 to 50 people at these games, all sponsored by the university. So we could actually have these events. Um, and, uh, and then I think the two best ones we did that year, uh, we started our tradition of doing double Santa Clauses. And so we do Santa Claus back-to-back -back weekends for free um, and have a Santa Claus come into the office and have a beautiful tree set up and a backdrop and all these great things. And so, and back-to-back -back weekends allows the non-custodial parent to have that opportunity with their kids, whatever the weekend is. So whatever weekend you got, you, you know you can go to a place that's supportive um, and so we set those up and then we did Easter um, that next year uh, the same way. So back to back Easter hunts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting because, you know, it's like every Wednesday night you can go to a restaurant and you can see the parent with their child, but there's no community. There's no, they're, they're literally having their relationship over the dinner table for a couple of hours and then every other weekend or something like that, however it's set up. And for them to have a place to go and have more normalcy where there's adults and kids and not just a parent child, which is two people, but it's it's more confusing when it's two people than when there's a, a line between where the parents and you're the child. Yeah, yeah. And, and those parents have a scarcity around that time, right? Like I got Wednesday, 
from three until six or three until seven. Like I have to get all the things in as fast as I possibly can. And so then you're, you're pressed and you're moving, trying to like do these things. And there's that extra energy being raised because it, it, it all has to happen in such a, a, a tight amount of time. Mm-hmm. And it could feel forced, right? And just not genuine. Yeah, yeah. And then dropping them off and you're like, oh, like, okay. Like, and then you have to wait a few more days to get to see them again. And, yeah. uh, you know, schools aren't really that supportive, you know, and even like sporting events. Like I coach my son's teams and man, I mean, for me to get even communications because his mom's one that signs him up is like extremely difficult. And I'm like, I'm his coach. Yeah. You're, you're put down as an alternative email. And I'm like, yo, I am just as much of an email uh, necessary as as the primary parent is. Just because she filled it out doesn't mean that I get left out of emails. Like, I can't sign my son up for the sport two times so I can be the primary parent. You know, he's only one kid. He go, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and it's an email. It's not like it costs money. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the communication respect is not there. You know, and and um, and this a lot of those types of things where you know nobody does it on purpose. Right. But as a non-custodial parent, you're like, it's just one more thing where like I'm treated as not a parent, mm-hmm. not an equal, and I'm not worthy of the respect that uh, a custodial parent would get. We were just learning that in Illinois, they don't use those words anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have um, uh, all they, the, the only words they use is who, who, what kind of time are you spending but there was no such thing as custodial. No. They're they're both decision makers. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like Illinois is lovely either. To no, get divorced, I, I have anything. not heard any good things about Illinois. I could see no. my, <laughs> my friends from Illinois. I could tell all kinds of bad stories about Illinois. But yep. I feel like that's such a, a an empowering thing. Um, uh, one of the things I was working on for one of the bills that got defeated was to change it from visitation and custodial parent from visitation to parenting time. Mm-hmm. At my court date, I made a comment about it, about it being a uh, derogatory term, and it's it's really a put down to the parent who is not the custodial parent that they get visitation that they're not a they're not a parent and right. that they they should be respected and called parenting time. And my judge wrote two paragraphs about how I was wrong and it's not parenting time and I'm a visitor to my son. And that was that was like two paragraphs of his his decision wow. about informing me that. Um, I'm not a parent and I'm a visitor and, and then, wow. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure a DNA test would clear that up, right? Yeah. Yeah. You are a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah, the terminology of being a visitor, you know, yeah. you are a guest, you're not even, you know, a person that no authority, no, no authority. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute about what are the impacts on kids with a father that is not able to be empowered to be a parent? Oh, I mean, it, it really runs across all, all the measurements that they have, you know, exponential uh, raised instances of um, dropping out of high school, you know, uh, multiple times and uh, su- suicide, homicide. If you look at the homicides of all these kids that are going around, like, you know, young adults that are killing people in these schools and like 95% of them have no fathers in their lives or and they don't have their father in their lives. Mm-hmm. They have like a stepfather or multiple, you know, stepfathers at different points in time, but they don't have their father in their life. Um, uh, obesity, missed um, high school dropout, um, drug you know, use, drug use, pregnancy, yeah, pregnancies, yep, teen pregnancies, all those things exponentially higher, you know, and I think you look across the board, you know, three to seven times, depending on which which thing you're looking at it. Um, and that's a huge difference. I mean, those things happen quite a lot, but they have, you know, and then just, pers- pers- uh, it just keeps that, that system going, you know, and, um, people being poor and being, um, disadvantaged and, and unconnected. You know, I think this is a really important discussion because when people think about absent fathers, I, I think the stereotype of the connotation is that it's the father that is not taking on the responsibility. And what we're talking about here is the legal system actually becoming a hindrance, an obstacle to fathers being able to step up and, and take on that role. Yeah. 
Yeah, completely. And it was amazing how much they worked to like make me be a, a an absent father. You know, I mean, um, just putting all the roadblocks in front of my way. And I have a dad right now that I was talking to just today, um, right before our call actually, and he was talking about how he wants to see his kid, but he doesn't have any money. You know, he's just a laborer, and nobody will take his case for thirty five hundred dollars. And if you go get a packet for five hundred bucks from the courthouse, they give you like five hundred pages of all kinds of legal jargon to try to figure out what to fill out and what to put where. And it's all written by lawyers for lawyers, not for an average person who just graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, even for lawyers, it's complicated. It, it almost seems it should be the opposite, that there should be a penalty for not stepping up in parenting. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to your visitor in your child's life. Wow. Yeah. The, you know, you always feel like, oh, the deadbeat dads who don't want to be wrong and stuff. And I actually really feel like, and I say it all the time, that it's it's beat down dads, you know, that they're just beat down by a system who is constantly supporting and and promoting them not being involved and engaged. And and then what do you do? Like I've already spent thousands of dollars. I've gotten nowhere. You know, how when do I when do I just give up? Mm -hmm. um, what dads, happens? What happens if she doesn't honor what the courts have ruled? Contempt is what you go for. So, you know, most lawyers will tell you, well, wait six months, you know, and build up a bunch of contempts, right? Get a, a whole bunch of contempts built up to go to the court and say, hey, look at all these times that I was doing all the right things and asking and I didn't get my kid. And I paid support the whole time, but every time I wanted to get him, they said no. Um, and there's no requirement for the courts to do anything. And so you, and you don't ever get that time back. And usually the court just give a slap on the wrists. And how many times do you go pay lawyers thousands of dollars to just have the other parent get slapped on the wrist? You know, yeah. once or twice. Um, and in the meantime, no you're, you're missing out on that time with your son and, you know, the development and the growth. Yeah, that's terrible. And they're missing out. And then they don't have that connection. Um, and so we have this system that's really been out there promoting that. And that's one of the things that I'm working on this year within uh, South Dakota is uh, to get and my friend, he, um, there was no Democrat running for office. So he was a uh, Republican running for Senate in his district. And he beat the other two Republicans out for that role. So he is the Senator from his district here in South Dakota. And so um, he's helping some other campaigns right now to get some people in. But once that comes, uh, putting a bill in place that work on having actual requirements for judges to do something because the, the the cops will also say that they don't have any power because it's a civil matter right but if there was a if there was a penalty where the cops could collect money they would enforce it <laughs> so yeah. there's just nothing there's no financial incentive for the cops to do anything and so they don't do stuff because it's there's no there's no benefit but if there was an actual penalty that they could then enforce the cops would then have to do actions in support of those kids having a relationship with the parents and so it's making those laws that are out there, you know, and a warning and, you know, some minor penalties and stuff. But then if you can't follow the rules, you know, you, you increase the penalty, right, as, you, as time goes on. But that it doesn't have to take 60 times of somebody being in contempt and then three or four slaps on the wrist before a judge says, hey, you know, like, you got to give the kid to the other parent, you know. There are real clear penalties and a judge doesn't have a choice to just do whatever he wants. You know, so it's it's one thing to kind of go through your own obstacles, hurdles, trying to do whatever you can to get as much time, but it, it seems like you've kind kind of gone above and beyond, and now working with representatives and and trying to pass bills, and you know, starting an organization to really help other fathers out there struggling the same way. What what prompted that for you to to take that next step? Um. When I started going through it, I reached out to all my friends who I knew had been separated, divorced, and had kids. And all of them told me a very similar story. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this before? And they're like, oh, you know, guys don't talk about these things, you know? And, you know, and so I had to like prod them to get information and get what they were feeling and what their thoughts were and stuff. And, and I was like, there's nobody doing this. There's nobody out there taking this on and this is not okay. And, um, and I felt like I was in a good spot financially and 
court made sure they took care of that. But I was in a spot financially that I thought I had the uh, ability to go and really um, put myself out there in a in a way that could help bring light. Um, and so like, we've done support groups and um, I don't have a current support group right now set up um, and I'm just getting established here. So it's new, but um, I will have support groups again, um, probably on Zoom and also in person just to give uh, a space to um, talk about what's going on and how you can choose into taking care of yourself so you can be your best person when you get to have your kids again, whatever that looks like. And everybody's different. So. And, and when you say you don't have anything set up here, you're talking about South Dakota right now, currently. Correct. So yeah. you moved from Wyoming to South Dakota to be closer to your son? Yep. As soon as they let her move in 2018, I moved, I bought a house here in the fall of 2018, um, about October or so. And so about a, four years ago now, which is crazy to think that's been that fast, but, um, and, uh, but I owned a real estate company in Cheyenne. And so I was in the works of that, um, at that point in time. And how could I move and do those things? So I bought this house here and rented it out while I was figuring all that logistical stuff out, um, and worked on another bill, uh, to get shared parenting as a standard. Um, and in 2019, when that went before legislature, um, I got beat. A lot of lawyers showed up to defeat the bill. There was a dozen or two lawyers throughout the course of a three-day period from when we went to the House committee um, and won to the floor um, and, and was and lost on the floor of the House. And at that point in time, I, I chose into, I said, I sat there, um, I had a bunch of parents, moms, dads going through the non-custodial experience um, and really did a great job. But they all have jobs. And the next day, lawyers don't have jobs, not jobs like the average person does. Um, and so I showed up because I, I owned a real estate company to lobby for my bill and the lawyers showed up and um, lawyers have a lot of weight and they carry a lot of respect because of their title. And uh, so I was really working hard on and getting these these uh, legislators out there, and I was focused like I'm gonna I'm gonna show these lawyers, and I'm gonna get all everybody out here. Well, it was twelve on one, you know. I mean, uh, the odds were stacked against me, and they called everybody out, and they're you know they're watching me call somebody out, and another or two lawyers would call the same person out after. And I'm we're all standing in this room. It's you know the the lobbying room is eight by fourteen maybe. So we're all like in a room like. <laughs> You know, we're really close together. There is there there is no secrecy on who you're talking to in this room, and um, maybe on what you say, but no 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 secrecy on who it is who's there and talking to people. And um, after about three or so hours of that, I just sat down and kind of watched them pull everybody out that I had been meeting with over and over again, and um, we lost on the floor. And and I I knew that I had to get a different approach that I couldn't just go in there and like, we're just going to do this because it's the right thing, you know, that that wasn't, that wasn't going to bring the change. And Why so, were they so passionate about blocking this? Um, there's a lot of money for lawyers. It was all the family law lawyers that were there. So family law lawyers from across the state. Um, I heard that they had an email out to bring lawyers in after they lost in the committee the night before, asking the lawyers to show up to uh, lobby against the shared parenting bill um, because there would be no fights in court unless there was somebody who was a, a domestic violator within the last year documented and there would be no fight. So it would just be a, a equal split of parenting time and parents want to be parents to their kids. And so that's a really powerful thing. And you'll spend all your money to be a parent to your kids and they know that everybody will. And so um, the family law lobby is very, very strong uh, in every state. And unfortunately, it comes down to money. Yeah. 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 You have to pay more if you see your kid less. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is to minimize the amount of parenting time. And that's why they do it every other weekend. Like, and that's why on Wednesdays, most states don't let them stay the night because they stay the night on Wednesdays. That would be another day, which would then equate to less money for the, for the state to collect. Yeah. For the state coffers. Um, so it's really sad. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. And I, was, I don't think the average person understands all of that. 
Yeah. My mind's blown. It's so complicated, right? And they 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 make it complicated on purpose. Yeah. You know, if they made it really simple, everyone would get it. But it's like, so you're saying that there's all these moving parts and they all go together to like conspire against families. And wow, like that's just a really heavy realization and um, unfortunate truth. And there are people who care more about their dollar bill than all the families that are getting destroyed. That that doesn't matter nearly as much as collecting that $300 hour check. Well, that's why it's so easy to get married. The state doesn't yeah. care. Yeah, get married, get married. Yeah. Right. And you make no fault divorces and hey, you can get divorced for any reason. You don't actually don't even need a reason. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's split everything up equitably, you know, and, uh, and uh, take all, you know, take somebody's stuff. And, and, um, uh, it's just really sad. I think I was listening to a, a book on tape and it really was fantastic. Um, if I can pitch books, but if you want to yeah. understand the experience of this, um, the greatest explanation I've ever read, uh, was, by, it was called the respondent by, um, Oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on his name right now. Um, Greg Ellis, he was a, he's an actor and he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where he's probably most well-known. Um, and uh, he had been working on writing some movies and stuff. So very um, experienced writer and, you know, actors are like expressive and his expression of the experience of going through family court and then relating like uh, a lot of these facts to and stuff, beautiful uh, use of like descriptive terms to like really paint the picture. Like you can feel it, you can smell it, you like, you are in the experience with him. Um, and if you wanna know what that feels like, that he, he was amazing. Um, like, uh, like, yeah. The best book I've read that describes the experience of family court and the mm -hmm. horror of the court, so. I think it's a really good resource for those out there that might be struggling with mm -hmm. this. Yeah. You went through law school. I did. Yeah, I graduated this May, so <laughs> uh, I am not a lawyer yet, and um, but I am a graduate of law school. So, <laughs> and and you went through law school because of your experience, correct? Yeah, and I chose into law school after sitting there watching the lawyers, and I said, if they're going to give these people so much credit, I'm going to choose into that. I'm going to go. You're going to join the system to fix it from within. Yep, yep, and uh, and then they and then I figured they would say no because they knew who I was. And they said yes, and so I was like, "Well, now I have to do this." Um, there, were, there were people that were on the board, and I had gotten to hear a lot of like the the politics dynamics of even like law school, you know, and never realized how like political law school was. Um, but there was a huge discussion. I got in the last day. I didn't have a choice. I got to I got to decide on the phone call if I was in or out um, because it was that late of a decision for me to be in law school. I know it was that late to apply. Anyways, I was. They're like, uh, we already have like most of our enrollments decided for this next year. And I was like, but could I do it? And they're like, I guess so, <laughs> you know? And if you pass the test and you turn your paperwork in like tomorrow. And so I did all these things like in, in a rush within five months, I applied, took the um, LSAT, got, um, uh, got um, enrolled and was in school within five months. So, wow. And yeah. and you were accepted late because they were debating about whether they were going to let you in? Yeah, well, I was, I was, I mean, I took the last possible test. Like everything was last minute. I was, because they, they only do so many tests, like they do like three a year. And so I had missed a deadline for the test before that. So everything with mine was like, you know, last minute. And then, but then from when I'm going into it, I talked with some administrators and people that were in there that supported me through it and talked about the debates that they had about like, me being in you know my gpa i was like a two five two seven gpa kind of guy you know i'm a mm -hmm. i'm a very middle of the road uh college student um uh academically but the stuff that i had done outside of law school uh, outside of my academic stuff is what uh, gave me the opportunity to be in um but that my my position and my my path was very controversial well you did it yeah what do you know about that decision making? Like who was for you and who was not and why? Um, 
the people that were not for me were the people that were in the room. There was one of the uh, assistant dean was in the, I don't know if I can even talk about this, but anyways, she was there lobbying against the bill, um, was not in favor of me. And um, the person that ran the family law clinic um, and that uh, another big contributor is the domestic violence clinic that they have there. Mm. Um, she was against me. So, um, and, um, but there was, uh, the, the dean's wife, um, who is also a, a law professor there, she was in favor of me. Um, and she taught quite a few of my classes and she's a really fantastic lady and a couple other uh, administrators and stuff were in favor of having me in. So um, it was the uh, it was the family law side um, against everybody else. So the people that were that like family law and think that it should stay the way it is were not in favor of me. And those that see it as needing reform were the ones that supported me. And there's uh, fortunately more of them. So you won your first trial just getting into law school. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I never thought like that. The panel, the judges decided. So (laughs) So share your vision. What's the vision? Um, The vision is that, um, you know, everywhere around the country, the world now, all, you know, all of the countries now follow, you know, Every falls America, right? This is the, and all the states, all the countries around the world are doing this exact same model, and this is how they've designed it. And um, my vision is that shared parenting is a standard. Parents, uh, by the fact that you're a parent, and if you're if you're not a um, unworthy parent for you know uh, child abuse, domestic violence reasons, um, and I and even some of those things, I think can be rehabilitated, um, you know, child abuse, maybe differently than like domestic violence and that you could actually, somebody can learn skills to be a, a good person um, or a better person. And, but if you're not uh, disqualified for whatever those reasons might be, <clears throat> that by the fact that you are a parent, you're worthy of that parenting, whether you're, you know, whether you are a doctor, a lawyer, or you're a construction worker, um, that you have value and you have worth and your kids deserve the opportunity to learn from you and your experience as a parent. And you have the opportunity, you, sh- you have the right to get to have that experience of like being connected with your kids, getting to see who your kids are, and then choosing into how do I help them become their best selves? Like, holy shit, this is a huge responsibility. Like, how do I, how do I see them <clears throat> and then see a way to help them be their best selves? It yeah. sounds like innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's like a thing somewhere or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's not. As opposed to guilty and prove you're innocent. Might, yeah. might have been one of the questions on the bar, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like seven of them. They like ask that over and over again. Um, <laughs> where did the cops mess up with this? Um, and uh, yeah, it's, well, they don't want you to be innocent. They just mm-hmm. want you, they want to make you quit because there's no money in, in making you be in, in allowing you to be worthy. It's to find every, any little spot to say that you're, you're less than, so then they can make you a visitor and, and um, take away your rights to decision-making and everything else. Um, writing bills was um, a bad thing. And it showed my anger towards the system, which is probably true. So I won't, I won't, I won't fault the judge for that. Um, and me going to law school showed my instability in my um, in life, um, which I mean, I think wanting to be a lawyer maybe unstable. But uh, those are the things that he used against me. Those are the, his biggest hits on me. Which he I, said that you going into law school showed your instability. Yep, that I was unstable. Wow. Because you were working less. Um. Yes. And um, I had a good job, right? I, I owned a real estate company and only an unstable person would leave a good financial job to go to school and make no money. <laughs> the, the way that the system's written, right? So a judge has discretion, ultimate discretion. And you they take facts and, dis- and uh, prescribe um, uh, meaning to those facts. And so... The fact is, I chose to go to law school. He says that that's a detriment and therefore a negative for me. And he gets to decide. So he could say that, hey, going to law school, you're going to help families. You're going to make a difference. You're going to show your son that you can like go out there and 
have a vision and go for it and put yourself out there and, and on the line and make a change. And that could be a positive. But if he wants to make it be a negative, he can say, you know what? It's a negative. You're changing. Law. He made the same choice. Right. Yeah. He made the same choice. Well, maybe some, some judges like in Texas, yeah. you, you can be a judge and not go to the law school. True. He went to law school. I won't talk about him and his character outside of that. He knows his, his history and stuff. And I know it also. And um, unfortunately, a person who doesn't value being a father is a person making decisions about other people getting to be fathers. It's very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, um, it's, it's, uh, and I feel like there's a lot of that out there that it's, it's uh, in the family law system and stuff going like reading the books and being part of it, you get to just see kind of how they take the human out of the experience and make it a non-human decision. And we're all humans trying to build relationships and grow and, and develop. And they take that humanness out of people in family court. And what kind of support do you need in order to accomplish this vision? You know, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I feel like I need, uh, I need, I, well, everybody needs money. So always need money. Um, but what I really need is people to be aware and, and not to be aware and be passive, but to stand up for what they believe to be right. Um, and support families being as uh, engaged and uh, supported as possible. And divorce and separation are an awful thing. And nobody I think goes to get married or has a relationship with the vision of those things being the end result. And they don't have to be a winner take all proposition that it can be a, a win-win you know, thing in the end. Um, and that instead of going into these, these things and having lawyers run them, which I'm a lawyer now, and uh, uh, my mom has said that, well, if you change all these laws, how are you gonna make any money? And I'm like, well, if I change all these laws, there'll still be divorces, there'll still be issues that come up. You know, Not everybody's gonna be Jesus Christ, uh, which is unfortunate and uh, reality. And this stuff will still happen and we don't have to have this life or death fight to be in your kids' lives. And kids deserve to have both their parents as involved and healthy as possible without a huge financial and emotional and physical drain on their family. And kids deserve better. And I think- So you need a community. Yeah. You need a stronger voice. Yep. That's backed by like-minded people. Correct. Exactly. And people standing up together. And I feel like we live in a apathetic culture where like, I'm going to put a like on his Facebook post. And that meme was great. But then when it comes to like, hey, let's meet the courthouse and like have a discussion on the steps that requires like leaving the football game on Sunday night. And I would rather just sit around my house and watch football or, you know, getting up and doing that stuff is just too much. And we need people to stand up for what is right. And take that initiative and be engaged, you know, be, be there to, to do the things that are going to move us forward, you know, be committed, be focused, be, be compassionate. And if you know somebody's going through this stuff to reach out to them and, and ask them questions and support them and their vulnerability, because people are going through custody cases are eight times, men especially eight times more likely to commit suicide going through a, a custody um, or after a custody uh, divorce than, than if not. And that and make the suicide a lot as it is, eight times more is a significant number of people. Uh, and reaching out to them, asking them how you can support them and, and then listening and then giving it to them so they can be healthy or just reaching out, you know, let them know that you care that you're there, you know. In what ways do you see, you know, kids deserve dads providing that support, you know, for those in need out there? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, on Facebook, you know, uh, I am an army of one at the moment um, and uh, self-imposed, but uh, I answer all the texts 
all the messages. I answered all the phone calls. I gave everybody my personal cell phone number, you know, um, because I know that I needed that. Um, and, and because of that experience that I had, I want to, I don't want anybody to be without. And so, um, you know, I'm working on building like a, a support center and a support staff who can answer phone calls and stuff and be there for people. Um, you know, I get probably a dozen a week or so that reach out. So that's a manageable number. And, and, um, my intention is that it's much larger than that, you know, um, unfortunately, and, um, and just, you know, being a safe place that people can come to, um, it is really, um, disempowering and, and, and to go through that experience, you feel like you have like your whole life. You have like, was the idea that I had any control over my experience an illusion because I have absolutely zero now. And how do you help somebody come to terms with that, that reality and be okay with it? And it really is just about being empathetic and allowing them to just dump and, you know, and being okay with that void of like telling and letting people just get that out and be, be clean and be open to like sharing because I think that's where it turns into this despair and, and other things because you really feel disempowered and there's nobody out there who understands or can support you. Zach, if someone wanted to learn more about the organization or to get a hold of you or get in contact with you, how would they do that? Uh, the best way is to call me on my phone, um, 307-256-6257, um, or an email at kidsdeservedadssd um, at gmail.com. I am making a Kids Deserve Dads email with my website. I just have not made it yet. And it will likely be Zach at kidsdeservedads.us um, will be where the email is going to be at. And Zach is spelled Z-A-C. So I may actually do like Zach with like the C, the H and the K since <laughs> you can spell Zach in many different ways. <laughs> uh, and, a good idea. Right. And yeah. currently the current website is uh, kidsdeservedads.us. Yes, correct. Zach, <laughs> thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. This is, uh, it's really important work and, you know, we are really happy to be able to spread the word as much as we can. And we see it. We see the impact of dads not being in kids' lives. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, there's a lot of dads who do choose out and um, that's their choice, but we shouldn't force being out on people who really want to be there to love and support their kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm fully committed to being that change and uh, it's my life purpose. So thank you for allowing me to share this time with you guys and, and be present here with you. We want to thank all of you for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the home study course, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.